Our scripture reading this morning is a little different from that in your bulletin. Um, I decided to cut it down some after I submitted my, um, my scripture. God spoke to me and told me I didn't need the whole thing. So um, our scripture reading is actually Romans 12, 1 through 3. Hear now the words of our Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. So today, uh, we continue our sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. Last week, Elaine preached to us um, over the lines, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. As we looked at the wonders of our creator and how God keeps us together, keeps us standing like bookends on a shelf. Today, uh, we will continue with the lines, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Um, on earth as it is in heaven, and explore what it might look like to do God's will here on earth. But first, it's necessary for us to explore what the kingdom might look like. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray the kingdom of God may be expanded from heaven to earth, that God's will be done here, just as it is done there. The kingdom of God was, a central, was central to the teaching of Jesus and Jesus' mission. It was mentioned dozens of times throughout the Gospels, but the concept is hard for us to understand. Jesus didn't give us a bullet point summary of what the kingdom might be. Instead, in true Jesus fashion, Jesus told us stories using metaphors and similes in order for us to expand our understanding of the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a banquet and a great wedding feast. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, and we would be wise to sell everything that we have to buy and own that field, to own the treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a net cast wide, and it pulls in all sorts of fish. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who hires laborers to work in the field, and he hires them at different times of the day, but... At the end of the day, he pays them all equally. The kingdom has a funny economic system. The kingdom of heaven is a mustard seed 
from a small beginning comes a great tree. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. It permeates all silently and pervasively. What do we make of these teachings? What do these phrases, the kingdom of heaven, mean? If we are to pray the Lord's Prayer, then by all means, let us understand what it's saying. What does the kingdom mean? A kingdom is a place that we have arranged um, to suit our needs and our purposes and our values. It's an environment arranged according to how we like it. For example, my car is my kingdom. I have mirrors adjusted to my height. My seat is adjusted just right for me. I turn on the radio station to listen to the music I want to listen to, and it frustrates me to no end to have to readjust all of those things when a friend or family member borrows my car or my kingdom. <laughs> my car is my kingdom. You know, my, my home used to be my kingdom as well. It used to be great to just walk into my apartment with it all nice and neat, everything in order, or at least in the order that I put it in. I could just walk in and watch some TV or take a nap in the peace and quiet. But as you can imagine, it doesn't happen that often anymore, not with two 10-year-old boys running around. But you get the point. A kingdom is one sphere of control, and God's kingdom is what we call heaven. This is a place that reflects perfectly God's character and values. It's a place of peace and joy and truth and light and health and grace. God's kingdom is a good place because God is good. It reflects the creator. There's no cheating or lying or taking advantage of others in the kingdom. All is right and just as it aligns with the perfect will of God. Now, I imagine... This it was the original plan for our world, but sadly, us human beings just seem to have this funny way of messing everything up, and it doesn't help that we come from a long line of ancestors who actively defied God every chance that they got, even at the beginning of creation. But the real problem is a common theme that we see played throughout most of the Bible. We like to be in charge. We like to take control of our own lives, and we like to go our own way, which is usually the exact opposite of where God is leading us. We try to be our own gods, as Pastor Elaine put it last week, but we neglect the fact that God knows us better than we know ourselves as we are created in that divine image. Because of our struggles with God's will versus our own, we tend to create hardships for ourselves here on this earth. But God wants to be in relationship with us. God took on human flesh as a way to initiate this bond and hope that we would reciprocate. But like all relations, this is a two-way street. God came to the earth to draw closer to us, yes, but we must draw closer to God. This is how the kingdom will come and how we experience a taste of the kingdom is by doing God's will. 
as we look at our scripture reading today, Paul urges the church in Rome to keep themselves aligned with God's will for them. He wants them to live their very best lives here on this earth, and he says, this is how you do it. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. He tells them, embracing God and what God um, asks them to do is the very best thing that they can do for God. He says, don't be so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in so easily without even thinking about it. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. He says, readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you that always drags you down to its level of immaturity, God brings you the best and brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. These were Paul's words to his people. This is what he wanted him, them to understand. You know, 80% of life is just showing up. Now, this is a well-known quote attributed to uh, the actor and director Woody Allen, um, and it indicates the importance of presence in life. Showing up is important. After all, you aren't there to receive it. In times of crisis, a friend's simple presence is more often the most comfortable. A teenager or a child in a school production or a sporting event will scan the crowd for familiar faces to cheer them on as they perform. Showing up does matter. Present yourselves, your bodies, as a living and holy sacrifice, Paul writes. This is the ancient version of that quote, reminding believers that it is important for us to show up for God. Here in Romans, Paul lays out how we engage our physical selves is a reflection of our faith. He puts it in terms that believers in Roman um, would understand, referencing practices and um, sacrifices. But instead of a specific animal being brought to the temple to be sacrificed, Paul calls it a living sacrifice. For Paul, our presence is not some sacrifice that ends in death, but instead it's a consecration or a dedication that the will and work of God be life-giving. It marks renewal and wholeness as a sign that we wish to be made new by God. And so we present ourselves freely and openly, trusting that when we show up, God will too. But as another cliche goes, showing up is only half the battle. For Paul, there is uh, more to embodied faith than just physical presence. It's also involving um, opening the mind to discerning God's will. In order to be our most faithful selves, 
We need to wrap our minds around things in new ways, ways that pushes and challenges us to better examine ourselves and our communities and our nation and even our world. We have to do more than just show up. We have to think about things as well. And it's easy for us to fall into this trap of going, just going through the motions without really engaging our hearts and our minds to discern God's will. And I'll end with this. Actress Whoopi Goldberg co-hosted a comedy show every year called Comic Relief. Her purpose was to help the nation's homeless. According to this article I found, it um, was one of the many ways that she contributed to charity. She was involved in lots of charitable projects. When she was asked why she donates her time and talent to such causes, she says, I fear waking up in the morning and finding out that my life was for nothing. We are all here for a reason, and I believe a bit of the reason is to throw a little torch out to lead people through the dark. Now, Whoopi Goldberg is um, far from a theologian, and although she didn't say it herself, I believe that this is an example of someone responding to God's will. Here you have this talented individual with all of this experience and all of this attention and all the wealth and all the notoriety the world has to offer. And instead of keeping it to herself, she says, you know, I believe that I am here for a greater purpose. I believe that I have all of these things to share with others in need. This is an example of an individual um, abandoning themselves and responding to God in ways that God could use them. Paul invites us to participate through, genuine, uh, through a genuine giving of ourselves as a living sacrifice before God, opening ourselves in body and mind and working with God as God might work through us, in us, and with us. Our passage begins with Paul begging his listeners to take action. Paul encourages his readers, and he encourages us to respond to faith by offering ourselves to be transformed by God and engage in the work of the kingdom. So praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is a call to emptying and abandoning ourselves that we may draw closer to the creator that his will be done in our lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.